I mean, to me, this, this says singing and music and dancing, these things have power to bring us together in ways that dialogue just doesn't. Welcome to Baptist Without an Adjective, a podcast of Word and Way. I'm your host, Word and Way editor and president, Brian Kaler. On this program, we'll hear from Baptists from across the denominational, ethnic, national, and ideological lines that too often divide us. At Word and Way, we've been informing and inspiring Baptists since 1896. Learn more about us at wordandway.org. This episode is sponsored in part by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship is a network of people and churches working together to spread the hope of Christ. For more than 25 years, CBF has been driven by its mission to serve Christians and churches as they discover and fulfill their God-given mission. Join the fellowship at work in long-term global missions in more than 25 countries. Join them too as they strive to form healthy congregations and support the ministers that serve them. Put your faith to action. Visit cbf.net to get connected. In this episode, we're going to have a conversation with musician Ken Miedema. There's a good chance that you've probably have heard some of Ken's music or perhaps even seen him in concert, and I was really excited to be able to have this opportunity for this conversation. He's a talented musician. He has entertaining, fun songs. He, he takes an interesting look at biblical stories. He delves deep into important justice issues. So much is happening in his music that he's been creating and performing for decades now. And he does all of this while being mostly blind. He's a classically trained pianist and just really fun to listen to. So I was really excited to have this conversation with Ken and particularly as he's been doing some concerts that you can check out for free on Facebook Live. He's going to talk about that in the interview. And so maybe it's something to help us all get through coronavirus as we find ourselves quarantined and stuck at home a lot more than we're used to. So here's my conversation with musician Ken Miedema. First of all, Ken, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you. I have I have such fond memories of my, the many times I have been in Missouri and have just had some great uh, great times in your state. So good to be here. Well, thanks. Well, and I I have seen you on a couple of those occasions, and so I might mention that a little bit later as well with one of my questions. So it's been been. A couple of decades ago, the first time that I saw you in concert Whoa. when I was in college. Yeah, I've been doing this. I've been doing this a while, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well. First of all, I, I just want to ask. You know, we're we're in some very unusual times, and and how are you doing? How are you coping during this time of coronavirus? Actually, my family has been really, really blessed. I am fortunate. I see all the all the death and poverty and unemployment around me. And it makes me just makes me weep. Uh, We have been blessed. We have friends who have said, we will not let you starve. And um, we have, we have received so many donations. We have a little nonprofit called interlude. And one of the things that interlude does is to help me do projects. And one of those projects is a series of Facebook live concerts that we're doing during this pandemic time. We're doing a concert every week. And usually we have about oh, anywhere from three to 5,000 hits on that concert. And we, we try to do music that is 
that gives folks comfort and whatever. And I, I recognize that even those events are for people who are, are the privileged. You know, we are, we are so fortunate and I, I'm, my family's well, all, all those who I know and love are well. So this is, this is good in a way, but I realize, and I, I don't know what this means yet for me, but I realize that this, this time is so much worse in our country than it needs to be. And a great deal of that has to do with the fact that we have not taken good care to build the infrastructure that we need to. And I, I think as a, as a Christian, as a person who wants to be concerned with not only how religious folk are in the world, but also to be concerned with the shalom for the city around us. The, the Hebrews were always told when they were in captivity, build houses and plant trees and have kids and pray for the shalom of the city. How do I pray and work for the shalom, for the peace, for the well-being of my country? Uh, and, and, and that becomes a real concern to me. So, but to answer your question directly, we're, we're doing well at the moment. Well, very good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And you mentioned the Facebook Live concerts, which was actually my next question, because you obviously can't travel and perform at concerts right now. And, and in fact, I think one of the places you were supposed to perform in late March was a conference in D.C. that I was already registered to be at. So yes. did not get to be at, that, at the Religion Communication Congress that you were going to perform at. But you, so you've been doing every Wednesday afternoon to, to evening, kind of depending on, on your time. Yep. Every Wednesday, actually seven o'clock, seven o'clock central time. We do a, we do an hour long Facebook live concert. And I always am getting, uh, because, because I'm an improviser, I'm always getting comments and stories from people this last concert was totally improvised based on stories that people told me. So for example, somebody would tell me about, uh, she has a, a group of women friends who have been together for 20 years. They cannot be together now to be in the same space to hug each other and whatever, but they do meet on Zoom every week to to provide support for each other. Somebody else told me a story about learning how to make apologies when we have to be at home together and crammed up in the same house. We have to learn how to make apology. Somebody else told me a story about reading a, a poem by St. Francis of Assisi and how beautiful it was. And so I get all these comments and stories, and then I make up songs based on those stories. So a combination of songs pre-written and then songs that come out of the moment. And the songs that come out of the moment are the ones I think that have the most, that have the most power because they, they're, they relate to where people are living right here and right now. Yeah, you had one a few weeks ago on one that I, that I just found delightful. It was one of these that you had improvised on a line from a comment from someone about still buying green bananas because the future is coming. Yeah. And then you started right. singing about that's that. Right. And that I, I thought that delight. was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so this is one of the things that, you, that you've always been known for. Your, your humor, you know, many of your songs are delightful and they're, they're witty. And, and so I wonder if you could think about not just in the past, but particularly in a time like right now, why do you think we need entertainment, joy, even humor? Why is that so, so meaningful and so helpful? Well, we, we, we know from um, 
scientific study, we know, for example, that, that laughter is, is not just psychologically good for us. We know that laughter is physically good for us. We know w- way back in the 70s, there was an, an author named uh, Norman Cousins who used to, w- w- used to be a, a very significant magazine writer, and he contracted a cancer. And he decided that he would laugh his way into health. And he he watched comedy and listened to comedy and 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 laughed. And the, the all the scientific evidence suggests that laughter is in fact good for us physically. And the same thing has to do with hearing music. The the some French scientists did studies back in the the 70s. After Vatican II, the conference where the Catholic Church decided that they didn't have to have Gregorian chant being sung all the time for all the offices of the day, monks in French monasteries became depressed. And it wasn't just because they missed a habit. It was because they had gotten used to music at a certain level and in a certain range that actually stimulated the brain. And we know now that music, hearing music or making music actually tends to set those little neurons in the brain firing and it tends to improve the connection between the left and right brain. We can study that stuff. And so hearing music or singing music or or laughter, all that stuff is important nearly physically as, as well as psychologically. We know that that's good for us. I'm reminded of one of those times that I saw you in concert, and this was probably right at about 20 years ago. You were performing at the annual convention of the Missouri Baptist Convention, and I think it was the closing session, and you invited the leadership, the the officers, the the key staff, conservative Baptists dressed up in their, their suits to lead the rest of the gathered group and forming a train line to dance around the room while you were singing. <laughs> and the imagery, just even before that, you got them started, the idea of these conservative Southern Baptist preachers in their suits leading the, the train line while you were singing was in itself just a hilarious idea as a college student studying ministry that I really enjoyed and appreciated that moment. And so I do think that that humor... Not only is it something we need, but it does, it stimulates our mind, our imagination, and it plants memories, right? I, I, I remember that moment more than probably any other of the convention. And several of, those, uh, several of those pastors came to me later and said, you know, that was the best moment of the convention. People are longing to let loose like that. I remember a moment when I was singing at a convention of teachers, school teachers in New Jersey. And this was a a particularly troubling situation where the teachers had been working for most of the year without a contract. So there was a great rift between the teachers and the administration. And so I began singing at the beginning of the the convention, just I think it was I forget what the song was, but it was a you know it was an improvised song about you know being together to learn from each other and whatever. And we noticed that several of the teachers were wearing red shirts, and they weren't participating in the thing at all. They were sitting with newspapers, or they were grading papers, or they were talking to each other. And I asked one of the administrators. I said, "What what is going on here?" 
And the administration said, well, you know, it's nothing to worry about. It's just a few irate people. Well, at lunch, I discovered with sitting with a teacher that they they had been working without a contract and that they were angry and the red shirts were a sign of their protest. So after lunch, during lunch, I asked if there was a harmonica player among the teachers. They said, yes, we do have a harmonica player. So the harmonica player and I got together and we decided we would do a blues piece. And the words of the blues piece were, I got this feeling all the way down to my shoes. I've got the, we're wearing red shirts because we're working without a contract blues. (laughs) Well, I sang this piece and the teachers stood up and shouted. And we went right from that to a piece where I invited people to join a conga line. And the teachers actually went, as the line was moving, the teachers actually went to the administrators and got them standing up and moving in the line. By the time the song was done, teachers and administrators were in the conga line together. I mean, to me, this this says singing and music and dancing, these things have power to bring us together in ways that dialogue just doesn't. You know, you started your career before you were a performance musician. You were a music therapist. And that's right. I don't know. It seems like that's still a big part of, of what you're doing. Oh, it is. It is. I Every day I realize I have learned so much as a music therapist. I learned about the power of music to bring folks together. I learned, I learned about the, the relationship between music and physical activity for people who have motor coordination issues. I, I learned about what music can do for autistic people. All, all these things were a significant part of my training, and I use them every day. Another part of your music that I've always enjoyed is how you take the, the stories in the Bible— and you let your imagination kind of run with them. And, so, you know, I, I'm particularly thinking of a song, and I <laughs> I have been unable to find this song. I'm pretty sure it was you. I've, I've claimed in a sermon that it was from you, so I hope I'm right. But I, I remember a song, again, I think it was, you know, when I was in high school or college and hearing you sing. And it's a song about the story when Moses is holding up his arms and the Israelites are winning. And when they fall, the Israelites are losing. And Aaron and her, they're holding up his arms. And then the story about, made up story, added to it, about imagining the water boy <laughs> bringing water to Aaron and her. Uh, do you call this song? Yep. It, in fact, it was, okay, good, it, because... it, it was an improvised, it, it never got recorded. It was an improvised song. Oh, that's why I can't find it. I love that song. It, that song has been stuck in my mind for like 20 years. <laughs> uh, and I love the imagery that you created of this and I've used it in, in sermons on more than one occasion about the the insignificant seeming task and how important. Yes, yes. Uh, that yes. you know, at that moment, that little water boy was the most important person. That's right. That's right. We are water boys. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and so I love what how you have, how you were able to to remain faithful to the story and yet with your imagination bring out a new character and a new side of the story. And so my question then is. What is it about the way that you read and think about scriptures that allows you to imagine these stories in these fresh and creative ways? 
You know, one of the one of the blessings I've had in that regard is number one to have a wife who is a biblical scholar. In fact, who has been to seminary and and done the degree and stuff. And so that what one of the things we do together is to, is to do study together and do actually, you know, background study on these stories. And then we do a lot of reading, a lot of reading from people, oh, people like Walter Wangreen, the great, the great Lutheran storyteller who loves to take Bible stories and, and reimagine them. And in, in that reading, we, you know, we discover new perspectives on these stories. And I'm also surrounded in my life by a, a number of pastors and theologians and thinkers who, 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 whose imaginations are rich. And they help me to reimagine these stories. So I'm blessed to have people around me who really help in that task. We did a, a recent, one of the recent Facebook concerts we did called Ancient Stories for a Modern World. And we took several of these Bible stories and did them, did a whole concert of them and bringing them, I, I, I don't use them all the time, but bringing them back in a whole cluster like that was really fun. Yeah, you know, as I was kind of thinking for this conversation about some of your music and its approach, you know, the the song that I don't know, it, it probably maybe it's a, it's a little bit of your mantra is the the color outside the lines song that you've recorded. Mm-hmm. It seems to you know you're telling us obviously to color outside the lines, and, and it seems to be a little bit of what you're doing is you're thinking about these stories and you're thinking about your music as you're approaching. Yeah, part of, and part of the, the balance for me is to maintain some kind of equilibrium between going outside the lines and also then keeping a handle on style and a way of saying things that will appeal to people who you know have have not leapt outside of those lines so so i want i want to find a balance between challenging my audience to to think in new ways and then also giving the comfort that says, you know, somewhere between comfort and challenge is what I'm trying to do. And so I'll use a great old hymn, you know, that, that makes people feel comfortable and then pair it with something that's really new and really challenging. And I realize that as I get older, my musical style has become maybe a little bit less wild and radical when I was when I was uh, younger and really into into rock and roll. I, I did some some pretty wild stuff, which was really fun to do. But I realize now that my calling seems to be a little bit less wildness and a little bit more sort of thought through, kind of studied, kind of carefully chosen wordage and carefully written songs that will appeal to a wider variety of people and to people my own age. I, I realized that I'm in my 70s and there are a lot of people who are in my age bracket who have great work to do yet, who have great lives in front of them and who have all kinds of possibilities and who you know, have, have work to do in the world. And, and I need to appeal to that group as well. So I think my stylistic parameters are wider. You know, just a lot of musicians around me are, you know, going through those kinds of changes too. So 
I'm sure this has happened. I, I wonder if you could think of one. Have you had a song where it maybe went a little bit too far outside those lines that you had some some pushback? Oh, th- there's a there's a lot of pushback, not, not necessarily stylistically, but but in terms of in terms of what the song says. Right. For example, uh, "Kingdom in the Streets," which is a song really about the inner city and about the church that refuses to get involved in the pain and agony of the city. And a lot of people have said, you know, how, how dare you criticize the church, you know? So I get that kind of pushback, but surprisingly, well, one of the, one of the biggest pushbacks has come because I am very supportive of gay folks being a part of our churches, very supportive of the notion that churches need to include both straight and gay folks, and not only as members, but as leaders. I've received a a lot of pushback from ultra-conservative folks. There was a conservative group that was, for a while, was trying to boycott me, and they would write, they would get my schedule, and they would write to churches where I was going to perform and say, did you know that, that Miedema is a, quote, gay lover, unquote. Um, and we got a lot of cancellations. One college where I had been part of their Bible conference for several years decided that uh, they were going to uninvite me and that I would not be a part of their Bible conference. And what a lot of people who also had been part of that conference were supporting me and said, if you don't invite me to my venue, I'll never come to your conference. So that, that has died down now. I, I get, I, I still get people who, you know, who say I disagree with you and that's fine. We try to have dialogue because I, I really believe that the church is a place where conversation ought to happen, where we, we need to learn how, to have conversation with brothers and sisters who disagree with us, who have different perspectives. And part of my music now is, is all about that conversation. I did a tour with an actor friend of mine in, in February and early March called Can We Talk? And we built several scenarios that were both drama and music about, about people disagreeing with each other and, and learning, to have, learning to have conversations, learning how to say, I need to go into this conversation realizing that, number one, I could be wrong. And number two, I want to be curious about the point of view of my fellow conversing people. I want to be curious about their point of view and why they have that point of view and, and what it is that they feel and long for what's the what's the common story behind all of our differences and how can we talk with people who who feel differently from the way we talk and how can we in the church realize that we are all brothers and sisters in christ and though we have different opinions on things we can come together and say i i don't understand how you are in the world but i want to and I want to start with a basic trust that says, I love Jesus and you love Jesus. Can we figure out how to be together? And so a lot of my stuff now is about that conversation. 
Yeah, this is actually one of the aspects of your music I, I wanted to, to highlight because you do address a number of justice issues in very profound ways. You mentioned Kingdom in the Streets. You've done this in a number of other songs. Uh, I See America. You had you sung recently on one of your Facebook Lives about building walls and then grace tearing down walls. And, and so, I mean, this is something that, that I think brings a, a message into your music that we don't often find in what we might call church or Christian music today. And so I, I wonder, where did this sense of the biblical call to justice here and now, where did that come from for you? It really, it really started, I think, when, uh, well, let's see, it's, it started in the, in the 70s when some of, our, some of our friends who had been in seminary with my wife became involved in some justice concerns and, and starting new organizations that were oriented toward feeding the hungry and, and, and looking at peace issues. There was a, a bunch of us who, who felt this call. And then along came, you know, sojourners and the sojourners community in DC. And I became involved in some of the things that they were doing and really felt this this call very strongly. Jim Wallace and Ron Sider and some of these early leaders were inspiring to me. And I think I think it's true. We, we, we haven't seen much of this in the contemporary Christian music, although it's getting better. I mean, we're seeing, we are seeing more of it, not so much in the mainstream stuff, but in, in stuff that is coming up from some of our folk singers, some of our uh, less well-known singers, are really writing and singing about these justice issues, so I think we're we're becoming more sensitized to those those issues, and I'm glad to see that happen. Yeah, and you mentioned at the very beginning when I when I asked how you were doing, you were talking about you know some of the issues that we're seeing exposed in our society, not new issues, but exposed by this pandemic. And so I kind of wonder that as you've been thinking about these justice issues for decades, what are some of the things that you would like to see Christians in the church help take the lead in as we, you know, whenever it is that we come out of this this pandemic, how do we rebuild, reopen our society, not just back to the old normal, but, you know, what, what can we do differently? Well, I think, number one, I think that the people of God need to be very vocal and very, very expressive about this idea of the shalom of the city. We, we need to be involved with changing the plight of the poor. We need to be involved in linking up with, with people who are working for the health of those who are without. We need to be critical of the extreme imbalance in terms of income imbalance the the wealth imbalance in the country is extraordinary and it seems that the structures that we have put in place in the country are are only increasing that imbalance and i think christians need to speak to that i think christians need to speak to the notion that we are whether whether we are people of faith or not. We are a community and our faith would have us join together as a community to, to 
work for the good of everyone so that nobody gets left behind. And that, that I think has ramifications in terms of our government, both state, national, and local government. It has ramifications also on how we, what we, what we decide to do together with wealth as a country, as a, as a community, so all those things, I think Christians need to speak to those issues. I think we need to say that as people of God who believe that God owns all things and wants all people to do well, for us to welcome the stranger into our midst, for us to see that the stranger is treated well, all those things. And it, and it has to do with the way we speak to to employment and to government, because I think we are called to be prophetic in our world. We are called to be prophetic and to say to the structures of our world, no, you cannot, you cannot allow these, these conditions to go on where people are, are so impoverished and so hurt and so unjustly treated. These are obviously themes that come out strong in your music, and I appreciate that voice that you have been giving for so many decades. Before we close, I wonder if I could, uh, you know, people who are listening to this interview, they're going to want to hear you sing. I didn't know if I could get you to to maybe do one song to to close out our our time together. Sure. Let me think what I could do that's, that's a cappella. Okay. This is an old song. It was actually, it was part of my very first album. And it was, it was almost, it was almost done as an addition. We had nine songs on the first album and the company said, we need another one. And I had a tune (laughs) that was rolling around in my head and I chose a text and I thought, well, this will be a little extra. Well, it turned out that that was one of the most well-known and it's come let us reason. It goes like this. Come, let us reason together. That's what God says. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as they shall be as white as snow though they be red like crimson they shall be as woe come let us reason Together, that's what God says. Come, let us reason. Together, says the Lord. Well, thank you, Ken. For that, as well as for your time and just your ministry through all of these decades. And I want to circle back around for those that haven't been following you. They can find you at, in Facebook. Yep. 
Just type in your name, Ken Minima, and Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Central Time, you'll be there live. And our, our website is www.kenmedema.com. And this has been a real pleasure. Thank you. It's been, I really have loved this last 30 minutes. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you, Ken. I, I, I've enjoyed it as well. It's been a real treat. Thank you and many blessings on you. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Baptist Without an Adjective. As always, you can find us at wordandway.org. And don't forget to check out our sponsoring partner for this week's episode, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship at cbf.net. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope that you will share it with your friends on Facebook and head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform and write a positive review to help more people to find the show. It really does help. You can find easy-to-share links at podcast.wordandway.org. If you'd like to give to support this program, we greatly appreciate it, especially in these uncertain times of coronavirus. All you have to do at wordandway.org is hit the donate button, and whatever you give there will help support the production of this podcast, as well as our website and monthly magazine. And speaking of that magazine, if you're not a subscriber, I have a deal for you. You can get half off for one whole year at tinyrail.com slash wwoffer. If you have any comments or feedback about this program, you can send them to me at bkaler at wordandway.org. Thanks for listening.